Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Macrocast. I'm your host, Elon Mui, a managing director at Penta. My co-hosts are Brendan Walsh and John Fagan of Markets Policy Partners. But really, we're just the second banana today to the real star of the show, which are the latest jobs numbers from the Labor Department. The economy added 199,000 jobs in October, beating expectations. The unemployment rate actually fell to 3.7%. Brendan, healthcare once again led the way in job growth, along with, perhaps surprisingly, uh, government hiring. What did you see in the numbers? Yeah, that, that was really interesting part. It, it was kind of a bit of a, uh, a, a tale of two stories here when it came to the employment uh, establishment data. So that's where, you know, the companies send you, this is how many we hired. So uh, private education hired uh, a lot. Uh, that was 99,000. And then healthcare and social assistance hired 93,000. Um, you know, those were the ones that were massively affected by uh, the the pandemic and a lot of people quit and, and went away. So that's a really good sign, you know, both for our school systems and our our health care. Uh, but then um, when you look at a wholesale trade that lost thirty eight thousand uh, retail trade um, leisure and hospitality only added twelve thousand. Uh, and then uh, also, uh, you know, uh, non-durable goods uh, lost 8,000. So th- there are kind of not necessarily huge weaknesses in, in the economy, but the 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 ones that had, uh, you know, hired a lot during the pandemic uh, and now you're kind of seeing the the consumer not not necessarily fall off a cliff, but pull back. You know, you, you bought a lot of stuff the last couple of years, especially with the government assistance. Th- those sectors are kind of, you know, finding their footing and they, they just don't really need quite as many people as they uh, did. Also, we're kind of seeing uh, small amounts of layoffs, but the, the 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 sectors of the economy that were really really negatively affected, we're seeing people coming back. So overall, it's very good, but it's definitely if you want to nitpick, you can see some weaknesses, and if you want to um, just kind of look at holistically, it, it's a pretty good jobs number. And then when it comes to the unemployment rate, uh, so uh, that's a survey, um, and so they're they're, di- they're collected differently, so that you have to look at them, you know. Side by side, they, they tell somewhat a similar story, but month to month, it can be you know a little uh, quirky. But the, the biggest story of that was the civilian labor force increased by five hundred thirty-two thousand people. So people are coming back into the labor market, which is was always a good thing. So that one registered seven hundred forty-seven thousand people were employed, and the um, and then the the civilian labor force increased too. So when you add those together. Uh, that also, because more people uh, got jobs than entered the uh, workforce, the unemployment rate dropped to 3.7. And most, uh, you know, encouragingly, it, it was in sectors that you know have been kind of left behind. Uh, minorities and and women over 20, uh, their, their unemployment rates dropped, and also teenagers are coming back to the workforce, uh, which we didn't see that really at all. Uh, it, it had started to decline before the pandemic, and then it basically ended. Kids just didn't really go back to work. So overall, it kind of shows that the labor force is still doing fine. Uh, the, the the wage growth was um, you know 0.4, so overall uh, around a four percent uh, increase in wage growth. But we got productivity uh, data uh, earlier this week. Uh, which was, you know, at uh, 2.6%. So overall, that's kind of painting a story that, uh, you know, inflation is kind of getting back to where it was around, you know, 2%. So if you're the Fed, I think this is an encouraging story. It's not so strong that you, you have to freak out. 
but it's also not weak enough that you have to worry, oh, we're falling into recession and we immediately need to cut. So uh, this is this is timely data. Yeah. Was there also distortion around the end of the strikes? There was yeah. a sense so that, that would. Those people came back into the workforce. So another, if you want to, you know, kind of look at it more negatively, you can subtract probably 60,000 people from this uh, this number because they were kind of employed. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's the end work. of the the automaker strikes. The automakers exactly. going back to work, going back to the plants. Yep. Yeah. No, I thought it was super interesting. You bring up the labor force participation rate because, you know, one of the questions, and maybe this is part of the virtuous cycle of a, a strong labor market, but one of the questions have been, you know, how many more people are really on the sidelines, right? We've seen a lot of folks already come back into the labor force. But, exactly. You know, you, 500,000, 532,000 people coming back in. I mean, that's, that's a pretty substantial number. And maybe they're coming back because they're seeing that companies are still hiring. You can still find a job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it, it, like this shows certain sectors are pulling back. So I, you know, Walmart is not doing the huge, uh, retail, uh, 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 Christmas hiring, but you know, if you, if you want to be a teacher, if you want to go work in a hospital, they'll, they'll take you tomorrow. Yeah, I thought the retail trade number was also surprising to me, considering that we're in the you know thick of the holiday shopping season. So, but I guess in these numbers, I guess we should say these are se- are these numbers seasonally adjusted. So, yep. yeah, so so they've hired you know less than they would normally, right? Exactly. Even though they're hiring more than they did you know over the summer in order to account for the influx of holiday shoppers. But, you know, I wonder yeah. what- and, and just for conspiracy theorists, the, the BLS <laughs> does report the unadjusted numbers. So you can look at both of them. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, but, you know, I wonder what that says too about at least what retailers are thinking about consumer spending. Yeah, it, and it was kind of previewed in the earnings season. The, the big box retailers said, you know, the consumer's behaving a little weird, uh, uh, which is also kind of expected where we did something that we've never done before in a hundred years. You know, we, we locked ourselves in our houses and we got checks and we bought a bunch of stuff. So it's not unexpected. The, the Walmart CFO uh, was talking about it a couple of days ago. Um, you know, the, the, they're definitely kind of pulling back on luxury items and, and focusing on, you know, kind of the, the core family uh, purchases. So overall, you know, their sales are still fine, but they're not seeing the, the huge ramp up, in the uh, in the holiday spending season that they had seen uh, the last couple of years, plus they don't need to hire all the, the the extra workers that they they had in the previous couple of years. John, what are we seeing around wage growth? It looks like wage growth for the past uh, year was up four percent. That seems like a a pretty strong number, and maybe a little bit of an acceleration compared to where we've been at for the previous months. Yeah, the average hourly earnings month on month was a little bit of an upside surprise. Uh, it was supposed to come in maybe a little bit uh, a little bit stronger at 0.3% month on month uh, after the October's 0.2%, uh, but it came in at 0.4. And these you know month on month changes obviously get magnified, uh, and uh, so it's a that's you know the strongest pace I, I think it's been in a while. I don't know exactly how how many months it's been since we've had a reading that high, but you know that goes back to the point. Uh, that Brendan's making this this report is you know in broad brush strokes this is a good jobs report but it's also a Rorschach test right <laughs> it's like that ink blot you know you can see yeah, yeah. what you want to see in it and if you're looking for you know an inflationary 
impulse that is a little bit stubborn and hard to go away, you know, that's the kind of place you might like the acceleration in average hourly earnings and, you know, the, uh, the lower unemployment rate. And, uh, you know, if you're looking at the, if you're taking the, the, the more sort of, you know, a softer uh, inflationary view, then it's going to be, you know, you're going to be focusing on the overall trend, which is, you know, there's a little bit of upside distortions. The overall trend uh, in jobs uh, is, you know, a softer, a little bit more slack in the jobs market. And uh, and so, you know, there the downward revisions coming into uh, from from this report. So it the initial knee jerk reaction in markets <laughs> was really more about how they were positioned kind of coming into this. Like yeah. you had treasury markets way, way offside, right. For a big number. Now we didn't get that big, like, you know, the, the huge kind of September shocker upside surprise, 300,000 <laughs> number that would have really slammed the door on people's fingers. Uh, but you know, we had, a we, this is coming after, a month of just like storming treasury rallies with fed fund futures, like falling all over themselves to price in rate cuts coming into this meeting. There was a more than 10% chance priced in for a January start to the rate cut cycle. That's like, you know, next month, new year, <laughs> new policy. Really <laughs> yeah. So the reaction in the markets is like a decent sized sell off in treasuries. You know, you get that immediate, uh, reflexive reaction that got taken back a little bit after people parsed the numbers just as we did and saw that it's more nuanced than maybe the headline, uh, you know, upside surprise. So that that really is, you know, we have this dynamic that we know all too well, the sort of good news is bad news when the market is fixated on Fed easing good economic news. Uh, undermines those expectations of uh, of more monetary uh, monetary easing from the Fed, and that tends to weigh on equities, at least you know in in this you know very short term kind of reactive phase. So that's what we've kind of gotten today. Um, the The Treasury market is uh, beginning to rethink the the rate cut expectations, which you know had really gotten, in our opinion, really gotten uh, over their skis. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a and, and this is coming into a meeting, you know, next week, uh, as Brendan said, and we've got retail sales data. We've got CPI. This is going to be, you know, a very consequential week, probably going to set the tone uh, for the, uh, you know, just just maybe like in October when the big non-farm payrolls number for September came in, it set the tone for a monster Treasury sell off. And then we got a downside surprise from the October number at the beginning of November and a more dovish sounding Fed meeting, which set the table for a big storm and rally yeah. in treasuries. And so, right, we've, we've sort of got this image of people running from one side of the boat and it starts to tip <laughs> and then they run to the other side of the boat and it starts to tip the other way. There's got to be some sort of Maybe the Fed uh, gets a steadier hand on the tiller in their messaging uh, in uh, in this upcoming meeting. You know, it reminded me, that analogy reminded me of when I took my daughter to King's Dominion. And, you know, she did that ride where the boat swings wildly from one side to the other. But then at one point, I'm not sure if they're supposed to do this, but they actually made the boat swing all the way around. So at some point, we may even end up in upside down land, right? Where the, <laughs> the Fed just comes full circle. So that would be that well, would be something to see. <laughs> well, 2024 is going to be a wild ride and we may all end up upside down uh, next year. It remains to be seen. 
Um, one thing though that I that I'm trying to square here is that wages are going up, people are finding jobs, but consumers, what we see in the retail sales numbers, what we've seen from retail earnings, still seem to be pulling back. And I'm trying to figure out why that is. And I, I know we can we can talk more throughout this episode about, you know, sort of consumer sentiment, consumer feelings, et cetera. But I wonder, Brendan, if you sort of alluded to it a little bit in which you said there was a period where we were all sitting at home getting checks from the government, right? So the the stimulus phase has ended. We're now seeing wage growth, but that wage growth isn't happening as dramatically or as quickly as we saw the stimulus phase out. Yeah, that's a that's a really important point because uh, the the stimulus just kind of fell off a cliff, right? <laughs> and then the checks just stopped, and then you're right. on your own, right? Right. Uh, and then and then you put with that, you know, you had some economic headwinds. Uh, you know, yeah, the the student loan payments started coming back and things like that. But uh, you know, people still have jobs. So all in all, the the consumer is still you know doing fine, especially if you have a job. You know, you you can adjust your your your. Uh, is spending. Uh, and I think that's what's kind of happening. We're, we're finding this new kind of balance of, okay, I, I'm on my own going forward, but I have a job. Uh, and uh, you're also seeing a, a little bit of less of people, you know, quitting their jobs to, to go to new jobs. So the, the job market's still strong, but it's not, you know, free for all where you can, you know, threaten to leave and, you know, demand a, a 20% wage increase. So All in all, I think it's a pretty good scenario for the Fed uh, where, you know, we're not falling off a cliff going to recession, but also, you know, things are are slowing enough uh, on the wage side that also that is not only the wages aren't necessarily feeding through to inflation. I think a lot of the inflation drop off is is simply the Fed kind of was right. And the uh, Secretary Yellen that a lot of the inflation was transitory and it really was due to, uh, you know, the, the the pandemic supply chains. That's feeding its way through into the, the CPI numbers. But the, the Fed is very concerned, you know, that they're wrong about uh, CPI. So, you know, they're not going to, you know, fire until they see the whites of the eyes. And obviously, once you transition out of the, the normalization of the um, of the supply chain, you want to make sure that it stays uh, back to normal and that, you know, wages then don't reaccelerate and, and pick up overall inflation. Yeah. I mean, if you look over the past two years, it's clear that there is a, a slowing trend, that there's a deceleration in the job market, but, you know, sort of how fast that deceleration will occur is uh unclear and folks are trying to recalibrate on a personal kitchen table level. And so I guess it's no surprise that the Fed would be trying to recalibrate and figure out, you know, how long is higher for longer. Right. And the the sense of the Fed really is that, you know, you've got this this, you know, wait and see. Right. If you're if you're going into a time when there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, and the balance of risks is still skewed toward that, you know, the the big fear is sort of an echo of inflation. Well, you know, then staying on hold is, you know, particularly if the economy isn't falling off a cliff and is, you know, softening in an orderly fashion, you know, then why would you why would you be in such a big hurry to uh, to cut interest rates? Right. Well, there is a lot more to talk about, but let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk about why the data seems strong, but public sentiment about the economy is so weak. We'll be right back. 
Penta is the world's first comprehensive stakeholder solutions firm. We are a one-stop shop for the intelligence and strategy leaders need to assess a company's reputation and make decisions that improve their positioning. As executives in the C-suite must account for a growing set of engaged stakeholders, all with distinct, fast-changing demands, Penta provides real-time intelligence and strategy solutions. We work with clients solving complex global challenges across a variety of industries. Our clients span technology, financial services, energy, healthcare, and more. To learn more about how Penta can support your company, check out our website at pentagroup.co, our Twitter at pentagrp, or find us on LinkedIn at pentagroup. Welcome back to the Macrocast. We've been talking about the jobs number and the way the labor market has continued to remain strong despite some expectations. But consumers are somewhat pessimistic still. Households and specifically voters do not have a lot of confidence in the economy right now. The economic sentiment index that Penta produces with our friends at Civic Science has been going up in recent weeks, but it's still lower than it was a year ago when we were really in the crux of the inflationary cycle. And a recent New York Times analysis found that even when you look at voters who support President Biden, a majority believe that the economy is poor or only okay. And the most pessimistic people, this was really interesting to me, guys, are young people and blacks and Hispanics. 89% of people between the ages of 18 to 29 years old say that they are unhappy with the way the economy is going. So maybe that's one reason why the Biden administration appears to be backing away from what had been one of their favorite terms, Bidenomics. I'm not sure if we even really were able to define what Bidenomics meant, or maybe depending on what side of the aisle you were on, Bidenomics had a different definition. Yeah, there was definitely a, you know, there was a sense that it was a jobs, you know, a jobs creating dynamic, uh, you know, the the Inflation Reduction Act, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, these are real these are really large numbers of fiscal expenditures that are going into real project on the country. And, uh, you know, we've seen this, one of the things that is supporting the U S economy, uh, does appear to be this, you know, this constant spend through, uh, from these large bills. And, you know, this is something that is, I think, bipartisan uh, and in terms of uh, the acceptance that it's something that we've really needed and, uh, you know, different priorities, obviously, but uh, it's, you know, infrastructure, it's hard to, it's hard to, uh, infrastructure was something that the Trump administration wanted to do. Uh, and so, you know, it's not exactly like it's, it's just, uh, uh, just Biden, but he certainly, you know, has to take credit for getting it done. Maybe he's not, and I'm sure that uh, his, his, uh, you know, his campaign team is is upset that they're not getting the kind of credit for getting uh, for getting these bills done. And uh, and it's impossible to say, you know, but for these bills, the economy wouldn't be doing as well. You know, you can't prove that. So it's uh, you know, the, the we've talked about some of these, you know, potential issues that the consumer is facing. Prices have stopped going up as much, but they haven't come back down. You know, it's still very expensive to go to hotels and to eat out um, much more than it used to be. You still have these like service charges that are everywhere, um, you know, and that is, you know, th- that is obviously, you know, some part of it. Gasoline prices have been high, although they're coming down. We'll talk a little bit more about oil prices uh, a little bit later in the podcast. But, you know, some of it is just a, there is, who knows what it is. I mean, there's, there's just a, you know, there's a sense that, 
in general, the country is on the wrong track. That The polls certainly show that. There's a lot of dissatisfaction. The world is a much, you know, it's a dangerous place uh, these days, you know, to, to turn on the news, uh, to, uh, to see headlines. And, you know, the, maybe this feeds through into economic uncertainty. I don't know. You have this general sense of uh, of, you know, unease and this background radiation of stress uh, that uh, that, you know, creates this creates this uh, this unhappiness. And uh, and, you know, since the economy is sort of the most important thing in, in people's lives, you know, maybe that's uh, they when they when they see the economy, they they their view is through a lens of all of these uncertainties and and uh, and problems that they uh, that they see around the world. I saw an interesting survey the other day and they just asked people, you know, economic facts and 70 percent of the people always chose the negative. And, you know, the simple questions like, you know, is the inflation rate higher or lower than it was a year ago? Uh, is the unemployment rate higher or lower uh, than two years ago? Things like that. And just people always just think that the world is worse. And they also even ask on a 30 year basis, you know, is it, is it harder to raise a family? you know, today than it was in, you know, the mid seventies and things like that. Uh, so there's just a, there's almost a, um, the Biden administration is having a hard time just uh, explaining the the realities of the economy and people are kind of choosing to, to focus on the negative. And I think like John said, just the, the little things, you know, when, like when you go out to dinner, there's an extra charge, it annoys people. And that kind of feeds through to, to everything that you see as going on in the economy. When the reality is the economy's actually pretty good. I also think that they made a huge mistake calling it the Inflation Reduction Act because they're not getting any credit for the, the infrastructure bill that's happening. Um, and also all the inflation reduction, reducing efforts haven't started yet. That was very much, uh, you know, with the, the Medicare and Medicaid uh, prescription stuff, which is now happening. So I think they they, they did a bad job of marketing themselves. Yeah, that's that's certainly one one challenge. I mean, you know, Republicans have used the term Bidenomics to refer to the fact that inflation is still not at two percent. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so yeah. so you're owning you're owning the you're owning every uh, every dip and valley of the economic data by using the phrase Bidenomics to describe, you know, what was essentially industrial policy and government spending. Right. The other challenge that I see here is that. The legislation that you mentioned, John, like the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, like the infrastructure bill, those are long term generational investments that will take you know, 30 years, decades to pay off. That doesn't help folks right now. <laughs> right. And so when when people are looking at, you know, is the price of milk higher or lower than, you know, where I think it should be, you know, they're feeling that disconnect. Uh, which also speaks to this this challenge of explaining the difference between disinflation and deflation. And folks find that hard to wrap their minds around. They just see that prices are still prices are still going up. Yes, prices are still going up. They're just not going up at as fast a clip as they used to be. And um, that's not a, a very salient political message. So maybe that's one reason why you know they're they're stepping away from this. Yeah, it, it was it was definitely uh, it was a little bit of roll of the dice, you know, especially when uh, they were kind of coining that term. It was, you know, usually the the 
you know, faith in a soft landing is uh, is riding its highest just before the recession starts. <laughs> right? That's traditionally the the recession usually hits like a little bit later than uh, than everybody expects it to, and uh, and who knows. The, the jury is really still out on next year, you know, looking out at, uh, you know, at uh, at the uh, the coming quarters, you know, the consensus has has gone away from recession calls um, and uh, and has gone to soft landing. Uh, and, you know, whenever you see <laughs> having as Brendan and I uh, know from bitter experience uh, in financial markets, when you have something that's consensus, you better watch out. <laughs> it's. Consensus has a uh, has a, a poor track record, <laughs> and uh, that really is uh, that that really is you know whether it's financial markets or economics, uh, it's it's sort of a rule of thumb. Well, I'm also wondering. I mean, as we talk about Bidenomics and and sort of political messaging, et cetera, heading into not next year is not necessarily just is it a recession year? Is it or is it not a recession year? But it's also what we know for sure is that it's a political a presidential election year. Right. And to what extent would that constrain the Fed's moves? Would they be more or less likely to hike or cut given uh, the pressures that they're certainly going to be facing, at least from the person who is right now the leading Republican presidential candidate who's saying that he's you know, that Powell should cut rates. And in fact, Powell should cut rates and then leave the job because he doesn't think Trump doesn't think he should be in it. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how the market reacts uh, next year when the candidates, you know, when the two nominees are really out on the the campaign trail and uh, and comparing their economic programs. And as you said, you know, uh, assuming that the Republican nominee is is former President Trump, you know, he is a low interest rate, you know, tax cut kind of guy. And, you know, that was that was kind of what uh, what markets wanted. Uh, at the time when he was, you know, 20, that was a lot easier to sell to markets in 2016, 17. Nowadays, when you've got maybe the, you know, bond vigilantes aren't, <laughs> aren't, uh, aren't, you know, fully galloping across the uh, the financial market landscape yet. But we saw some, you know, some pretty uh, significant pressure on treasury markets in October and a lot of attention on deficits and supply and that sort of stuff. And, uh, and so, and, and the, you know, the idea of, you know, the fact that uh, if President Trump is elected and gets his gets his way, you know, would that be an inflationary um, comeback? Right. If, if he's cutting taxes and slashing and putting in, you know, an easy money fed, uh, then, you know, we all saw what happened to Liz Truss. Right. And <laughs> I short lived UK prime minister who came in with a set of policies that weren't insane. They were just totally wrong for the financial market context. And yeah. the, the the guilt market absolutely just rejected it and uh, and sent her packing, essentially. Financial markets uh, did it more than anything else. The the response was swift and uh, and terrible. And that was that was the end of her and her policies. And uh, you know, not saying that that's gonna uh, be a repeat. Uh, here, but you know that's the kind of thing that you have to pay attention to. A second Biden term, you know, good question, right? Um, 
Bidenomics, it would be, you know, essentially the sort of finish the job, I guess, would be, you know, that's always the (laughs) that's always kind of the mantra for a second term. Right. Put me back in and I'll do, you know, even more (laughs) on the, uh, you know, the infrastructure side and, you know, modernizing the economy and, uh, you know, bringing manufacturing back and all that stuff. Um, But it's not clear that there's really going to be all that much that's really new um, in the in the in the Biden economic platform. We shall see. John, I had almost forgotten about Liz Truss and the head of lettuce. So thank you for uh, thank you for that throwback. I appreciate it. So oh, but, yes, that'll be a trivia list. That'll be a trivia question you know, for <laughs> how many days, how many days did the head of lettuce last and how many days did Liz Truss last? Right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Name the UK prime minister who was outlasted by head of lettuce. Yes. Now you will remember. Liz yeah. When Truss. I'm when I'm on Jeopardy, I'll split my winnings with you, John. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're looking pretty far ahead here all the way to, you know, what the Fed might do at the end of 2024. But at least for the upcoming Fed meeting, it seems like the course of action is pretty clear. Markets are expecting the Fed will hold steady and it seems like the Fed will uh, will comply. What are you what are you guys looking at for the week ahead beyond the Fed meeting? So we get uh, the the inflation numbers uh, before the Fed meeting. So the CPI will come out. Uh, and uh, later in the week, we get uh, retail sales. And then also we get uh, a lot of global um, PMI data. So uh, and along with that, we also get the Bank of England and the ECB. So next week is a, is a uh, dream week for uh, a macro door. Which all of us are proudly. <laughs> Great. Well, we will talk more about it next week. That does it for us here at the Macrocast today. I'm Elon Moy with Penta. My co-hosts are John and Brendan of Markets Policy Partners. We hope that you enjoyed our show. And remember, you can always listen, like, and subscribe to the Macrocast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 